because um, you know and again it's not about falling into the business it's, yeah. it's not about loving my business it's it's loving the returns that I get so that I can do things that I love. Yeah. Redistribution. Redistribution to things that I love. Yep. So I don't fall in love with anything that I invest in because I'm going to take my profit, no matter how beautiful the house is, no matter how long I stay in there, mm. or how much I enjoyed the business building it up, because there are other things in my life, there are other passions of my life that I want to invest in as well. Uh, Welcome to the Ask Alika podcast, where we answer all your questions about business, marketing, and technology. Welcome to Ask Alika, episode number 11. Today, I'm really excited because I interview someone who I respect a lot. His name is Simon Chua, and if you listen to the podcast carefully, it is full of hidden gems. Simon shares his business, investment, and life tips bit about Simon, he became a multi-millionaire in the petrochemical trading business in Singapore. He ran his own business and sold it for a huge sum in 2010. Ironically, the firm that bought that company, his company, was the first company that he worked for. Simon's now an investor and a pastor in Singapore. When I first met him, he spoke at my church. I knew very little about him. Uh, I just saw him speak and interact with people and I thought, oh, what a nice, humble, meek man. Little did I know that the guy absolutely kills it in the boardroom and he is one of the most intense people, business people I've ever met. The guy runs on lithium. He's 52 years old, but he's more physically fit than I am. We recently played a game of basketball in the pouring rain and he played hard. Uh, Simon is also a serial giver, and when he gives, it's not a few dollars here and there. It's a lot of money. So, uh, this man I respect a lot, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast if you listen uh, till the end. Enjoy. So, welcome aboard, Simon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane, for inviting me today. Yeah, no, thanks for coming in. I've got uh, some questions for you, and you know, the first one is, how did you actually start your career? Like, right. how did you get into business? Okay. Well, interesting. You know, I've always um, wanted, since I was uh, a little kid, I wanted to always start my own business because my dad was an entrepreneur. My dad ran a, 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 uh, a what do you call it, a construction company. He dealt with, you know, uh, installation of uh, stone materials in buildings. So I've always inspired, and was always inspired by his life on, on being an entrepreneur, uh, a uh, running his own business. Uh, and so I, Never really liked working for somebody, but I felt that um, after school, it was important to get a good um, a good foundation in terms of employment so that I could learn from there and eventually consider uh, running my own thing. So uh, right out of school, you know, I graduated from Ann Arbor, Michigan from a business mm-hmm. degree, and um, I came back home and started working for my dad for a few months, uh, helping out in the business with my brother. But I felt that um, it was good being part of the family business, but man, it was difficult. It was difficult because, you know, you, you're, you're doing business with your father and your brother. So it's, uh, there's no business <laughs> efficacy at all. You're just talking to each other as though you're, you know, at home. It's the same as in, in, the, in the office. So we get, it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was 10 sometime. It was difficult. And uh, it, was just, uh, it was just something I felt that at the end of the day, it was not my thing. And so I kind of told my dad, I said, you know what, <clears throat> I'm the oldest son, but I think I'll leave it to my younger brother to run the business with you. And I decided to just go and find a job. 
And so I was looking around, searching around, and 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 and, and there was a friend who offered me a position from a company he was working with, and there was a Japanese trading company called Sumitomo Corporation, based out of Japan, and they had a position open called petrochemicals trading. So I always was fascinated with trading, uh, taking positions, buying and selling. And um, so they hired me. I was, a, you know, from out of school, I guess you could consider. Uh, that was only a few months working for my dad. And um, I got into petrochemicals by more like a, by accident, I guess, if you could mm. say that. And uh, being a Christian, I think I was more led by the, the, the direction of God. And mm. uh, I slowly, I learned the trade. Within two years, I opened up actually new business for them. And... Um, and from there, uh, we began to develop um, uh, new, new markets, new products, and it started to expand. Well, petrochemicals is a very interesting product. Uh, if I don't mind just explaining a little bit what petrochemicals yeah. do. Okay? And petrochemicals, basically, uh, you, 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 you produce them from naphtha, which is produced from crude oil. And it's from refineries, and, um, and then you produce these petrochemicals, which are then used to produce what we call plastics. So any form of plastic that you have in life comes from petrochemicals. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, I started trading. I was very successful for the company. And then the, about two and a half years into the, into the business, um, I uh, was offered a job. And that's, an, that's, um, that's another story if you want to hear that. Yeah. So Simon, how, how did you – I'm interested in that. How did you actually enter – the business side of things from being an employee? Like, did, were you offered a, a partnership? Uh, did you work your way up to that? Or Okay. Well, it's very good questions. Right? And, um, and when I was working uh, for Sumitomo, I had this uh, call one day from a company based in Houston. I had traded with these guys. And the, the company was called Vost Alpine from Austria. They were based in Houston, a bunch of American traders that were uh, trading. They were one of the biggest, most famous trading companies at that time in the 90s. So this was in 92 when this happened. And they gave me a call and it said, um, uh, you know, we like you. We like what you're doing in Asia, you know, and uh, we'd like to find out if you're interested to join us. You know, I was like, you know, I, I thought I struck gold. And I said, well, I'm excited. Uh, because the uh, in um, in my industry the the epitome of of where you know you're made is when a Western trading company hires you to trade because mm. they are the aggressors they are the most successful they are the big boys and they they make the most profit and so I was very excited and I said uh, sure so they flew me over uh, um, um, and I was I spent about uh, three four days with them. And uh, I, remember, I can still remember I was a, I was a young man in my early, in my late twenties and uh, sitting there and and they took turns to interview me as well, and um, and and I was praying. I said, God, if this is for you from you, Lord, I, I pray that I would get the amount of salary I want. And so I prayed for uh, I prayed for about seven times more, uh, seven seven hundred percent more salary, seven times more. And I went to the boss, which is the final guy, the managing director, and he was, and his job was just to find out what kind of package you want. So everyone, all the other vice presidents were very happy and said, you know, we want to make you an offer. What's your expectation of salary? So I gave them an amount which was seven times, seven times more than I was earning. Wow. And he said, look at me and straight away, he says, it's done. And I immediately, when I, when I heard that, I said, uh, maybe I asked too little. 
and, uh, ten yeah, should ask for 10 times more, you know. And, uh, but he said yes, and I was so happy. I was mm. part of the team, and, and, I, and I got home. And mm. I flew home, I told my wife, Ping, and she was 100% behind me in our decision. And uh, in those days, uh, the, the market was dominated in Asia by the Japanese. The Koreans were not around. The Chinese was non non-existence at that time. There was hardly any petrochemical business in China at all. And uh, the Japanese were the dominant ones. And the Westerners, there were about two other companies in the entire Asia that were run by Western companies. Wow. And uh, I was the third one. Uh, the industry today has grown into, is, ma- is, is ballooned into hundreds and hundreds of companies. But at that time, you know, we had big cherries to pick. So I was in the infant stage of the industry. So um, uh, we were the third Western companies to set up. I went back home. I I tendered my resignation to Sumit- Sumitomo, and they were shocked. And so the big boss of Sumitomo Singapore said, uh, I, I remember his name, Sawada. And he came to me and says, I want to meet you. And, you know, it's a big company in Singapore. So for you to meet, meet the managing director, you know, it's a big deal. And so he came to me and says, uh, he said, uh, Simon San, you know, uh, I heard you want to resign. And in short, what he's saying was that don't resign. Um, you know, you have to really consider your position because you're only successful because of the company. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you will never make it without the name Sumitomo. It's a big name. Yeah. And you, people do business because of the name, not you. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, you might fail and, uh, you might be out of a job or, or, you know, might collapse, you know. So you're going to become like an entrepreneur. You're going to like start your own business because you're going to start from scratch. Are you sure? Because we are the giants and this industry is dominated by a few big giants. I said, thank you so much for your advice and your, and your kind words. And, you know, I appreciate that, but I'm going to resign anyway. <laughs> and the reason why I did it was because I, you know, being a Christian, I prayed and God gave me that peace. And in my life, it's not very often, although sometimes I do make mistakes. But, um, and, and, uh, but I felt led by the Lord. Uh, to say, take this job. And that was a, I felt a calmness and a peace mm. that God says, you know, do this. So, you know, I was setting up a, 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 the Asia Pacific office. Although I was, I was an employee of the company, uh, Vostelpine, I, I felt like I was starting my own business. Uh, and I, I, was, I was really thankful they entrusted me to start the business. So I started, I got my girl from Sumitomo to join me. She was crazy enough to join me. Jerry, this um, is like Jerry Maguire. Uh, yes, I, yeah, yeah, it's almost like Jerry Maguire, really, <laughs> honestly. So she was crazy to join me. I said, well, no, Esther, why don't you join me? She said, okay. So it's just two of us in the office. We had a great view of the, of the, of the landscape of downtown yeah. Singapore. Uh, and, um, and so we, so I had, the company had no reputation, nothing. It was wow. zero. It's a trading company. It had no assets at all. Almost like starting from scratch. Yeah. I was just saying, so what I did was first day, I just dialed numbers. <laughs> cold call. I, I just cold call people. Hi, I'm this and that. Hi. You know, so yeah. I spent about the next two, three months just introducing who we were. Wow. And uh, within that, I think I could, if I'm not wrong, within the first three months, I started getting my first deal. Mm. And, um, and so we don't do what we call back to back, meaning that we don't have a buyer and a seller matching them together. That's, that's back to back. But what we do is we take positions. So we buy before we sell and we sell before we buy. It's called okay. long, going long and short. Okay. And, uh, that's until we have a view of a three months where the market price is going to go. So, uh, and so it's called trading 
it's got trading looking at fundamentals, positions, balance, and, and looking at data and making mm. those decisions. It was very primitive at that time. Today, it's, it's, very, it's very much part and parcel of the, the trade. But in those yeah. days, nobody uh, took positions. It's all back-to-back. You have yeah. a buyer, you have a seller, you match them. But, but what we did was kind of unique. It was buying before thinking where it's going to go and then selling it later. And, or selling it first before and then waiting a few months and then buying it later. Is that, is that more risky? Absolutely. It's more risky, yeah. but the, the returns are uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. You make in a deal, you, make, uh, you can make about... 10, uh, 5, 10%. Yeah. So, uh, and so you could um, become extremely wealthy or in you a could short become extremely in a short period of time or you could be extremely poor in a short period of time. So it's a risky thing. Yeah. So, so I remember that I met a customer from Shell and Shell, the guy said, how do you take positions and still go to bed and sleep well at night, you know? I said, I don't know. It's just, it's just my makeup as a person, I guess. You oh, know? I love this. And uh, so it's about taking risks and knowing that you can have a position that's really bad, but you still trust that, you know, it's going to be, it's going to turn out well. So, 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 so in my, in my own business, it's a unique business where we are a business and that's been also helped me in my philosophy of life as well. We're in a business where we make about 30% losses. Mm. So losses are acceptable to us. Wow. And uh, and it's part of our 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 business. Uh, we accept that we will make losses and uh, losses, but just that you know we just want to make more than we lose. So so losses are actually if you look at life, life is like losses. You make losses in life, you make failures in life, but you pick yourself up and you can go on. So so it taught me in life about how to be able to have setbacks in life, how to make uh, how to that you try your best to make the best decisions and sometimes even trying to make the best decisions in life and you think you have got all the bases covered but you still make losses. How do you, how do you, I love this, I love this topic about losses and about how to handle the pressure. Yeah. I mean, did you have that in you from young or is it something you learned on the job? Is it something your yeah. father trained you on? Or? Right. I, th- I think, I think it's a bit of both. I think knowing my dad's life and being a businessman, I knew that there was risk involved mm. and that, you know, you have all this pressure of trying to lead a company and make it successful. So I could comprehend that. In the business school, they taught about, of course, business and risks and, and all that on paper. And so, so, so the education, the childhood experience did help. And, uh, but a lot of the learning curve I had in the practicality of, ex- of accepting losses, being able to handle the pressure and knowing how to be, knowing how then to take the next step to undo the losses and take on a new position and going forward. Um, that was, that was part of the training that we had. And I was, I'm very thankful that I had two guys in my life that really helped me. Actually three, um, you know, Godfrey Klein, mm. the, 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 the chairman of the company, Mike Hawker, my mm. president and my vice president, my immediate mentor, Frank Rooney. Uh, they taught me how about, um, not to sweat the small stuff. And how to know how to manage risk, manage losses. So I grew up um, uh, in that industry and in in um, in that life as a trader, yeah. knowing that losses are acceptable. Yeah. One, as long as you know that you learn from that and recover to to know how to take the right decision for the next step. And two, that losses are not fatalistic. Mm. Mistakes are never fatalistic. It is part of the learning curve in life, you know, and um, and you learn from that and you grow from that. And thirdly is that um, uh, uh, don't worry about the profits. They'll take care of itself. Just worry about managing your losses 
Right. And lastly, it's and, and this has been my like a like a motto of my life is that whatever I do, whatever risk I take, and and if and and the early, later part of my life, I took a lot more risk. But in everything that I did, the risk I knew what the downside was. Right. So I would go into ventures later on in my life and and do other things in my life in terms of financial decisions, knowing that whatever decision I made. I knew what the worst case scenario was, and if I know what the worst case scenario was, and I could accept that worst case scenario, then I'll go into it. Well, it, do you have any? And it's okay if you don't. Do you have any stories about losing a lot and how yeah. you recover from that? Anything you can share? That- oh wow, oh, there were a lot. Uh, you know, <laughs> so the failure stories are a lot. You know, I. Um, Love it. Uh, you know, there was uh, th- there were uh, uh, several cases of huh. of um, of of me uh, uh, going to ventures. Um, uh, I had a venture with somebody, a couple of other guys called Genesis. We started wanted to do uh, trading of different sorts. Uh, we tried that with three partners. Uh, both of them were of uh, brothers in Christ. Um, that didn't work out. Mm. And um, and uh, we had to just pick from there. I, I invested in the, um, uh, other, um, uh, uh, you know, um, different properties as well. One of them didn't turn out very well. I made losses as well. I picked up from that. And um, so these were uh, uh, losses that uh, were part of that learning curve to say, you know what, uh, um, for the from from the property aspects, you got to learn to not just buy something because it looks attractive but to always buy property where in, in um uh, buy property where there is a good demand that that you, that there is very few competition in that area mm. so it's very difficult to buy something where um it can be replicated and um uh, yeah. and so that's the danger and, and and so business that didn't work uh, we ju- I just picked myself up yeah. and just go on from That's there good. as well. Uh, we invested in some ventures as well, um, like a venture capitalist in different areas of of industry. And until um, today, we've not seen the returns. I invested in a company called Expression, a, a spa ex- um, cosmetic business. Um, it became a, a a real big problem, uh, and um, that that money was basically written off as well. So, so. Investing companies, investing properties, investing in, mm. uh, and starting up companies—they were all uh, there were setbacks as well. But um, thank God that I had more success than I had setbacks yeah. as well. And you said something to me, interest, uh, something to me before that's quite interesting. You said, "Look, don't ever get emotionally attached to any investment or any business." Yeah, you you stand by that? Yes, I stand by that because I, Zion, I believe that there's the only person I want to fall in love with is Jesus and my wife and my family and 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 the people that I care for. But I don't, I don't, I don't believe in falling in love with your your property that you bought or your business yeah. that you have. I believe that my my objective is to is as a business person is to maximize profit and then use that profit to then try and maximize uh, the returns from the profit that I get either for good causes or for or to benefit or to reward myself or the people that I love. So I'm talking about maximizing profit so that I can maximize the other part of the aspects of the important things in my life. So, um, so that, so, so, I, uh, so, so that comes to a, a story that I have. If I, if you don't mind, if I share this story about, um, 
about um, not falling off your business. Yeah, please. And um, so as so we started, so I continued where I was. I worked for Vossel Pine. So I was there um, for about um, uh, oh, close to 20 years, about 20 years. And then in, in 2005, by that time, uh, we were firmly established as one of the major trading houses in Asia. Uh, I would trade and I would move the market, meaning when I'm buying, everyone would type, okay, Simon's buying, so let's all buy. You know, he knows something we don't. So we would be very critical in trying to uh, move the market, and uh, we were a very significant company. And, um, and, so, uh, and so my trading style was very simple. I would pray. And I will ask God, God, should I buy or sell this? And there were times where I would, um, I would miss out on deals. And God says, don't take that. And I say, oh, that looks like such a great deal. But it turned out to be actually very sour at the end. And I said, you know, wow, that was great that God can, see, God can see things that I don't. So when I pray and, and I can hear God's voice mm-hmm. and God would indicate to me to trade and, uh, I I recall that in '97, when the financial crisis hit Asia, the Asian financial crisis, um, it was a disaster for most countries. Uh, currencies were, deep, uh, were 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 collapsing, and and there was a major uh, crisis in Asia. And that year, when we had our uh, group meeting, uh, I remember it was in uh, in one of the resorts in Asia, uh, and they pulled out my charts for my for my turnover. Uh, my turnover from during the Asian crisis was 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 rocketing sky high. I made record profits during the Asian crisis. Wow! So because the you know the Chinese has a word for crisis, it means basically a crisis is a time where you can take advantage of a situation. So so in my life, I I look at financial crisis as opportunities of life to take advantage of the situation. Mm. So I'm a contrarian trader. In life, I'm a contrarian investor. When everyone's selling, I'm buying. When everyone's buying, I'm selling. Yeah. You know, uh, Rock, Rockefeller has a story that uh, he started to sell all his shares before the Great Depression in the 1920s was when he heard his shine boy buying stocks. And that's when he says, it's time to sell out everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when, when, so when your Uber driver starts buying stock, it's maybe time to sell time it. Time to sell. You know, it's, cool. uh, it's just overpriced already by yeah. then. Wow. The guy on the street is always the last one to get yeah. in, and the poor chap is always the one to yep. to to to, uh, to get hurt. Time to leave town. Time yeah. to leave town. Yes. So, uh, so in twenty oh five, I um, twenty oh five, uh, I had a phone call, mm. and my uh, and Frank called me up and said, "Simon, I want to talk to you." It was kind of late that night, so we had one of these conference calls. I thought it was about business. I said, "You're not gonna tell you something." He said, "Yes." I said, "Frank, Frank." Simon, you know, um, somebody wants to buy our company. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, you know. And so you know, we love the company. We love the setup. We love the culture. We love one another. It's just so easy trading in that culture where we everyone's fond of one another. It was a small setup, but we made a lot of money. And, uh, you know, we're not the richest, the best, or whatever, but we're happy what we're having. Mm-hmm. And I, I like working with these guys, a uh, fantastic bunch of people. But he says, you know, someone wants to buy us up. I said, okay, really? I said, how, I said, how much do they want to pay? That's my first question, you know, because by then I was made the only Asian shareholder. They made me a shareholder of the company. Not a big amount of share, but, you know, I was still a shareholder. So they said, um, um, we want to sell out. Uh, we're thinking of selling out. So I said, how much was the price are they offering? I said, they're offering 400% more. 
four times more. Well, that's pretty good. And, and plus, they've decided that because we're a training company, we want, they want us all to work together and they're willing to increase our salary and give us a five-year contract of security. Now, as a trader, uh, we don't have a, we don't have the luxury of a five-year contract. Most of the time, we only have a one-year contract because you don't do well, you're fired. It's yeah. a higher fire industry. There's no security at all. So a five-year security contract plus increase, then we get to keep our bonuses. We get to keep our 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 performance bonuses and our our our, our perks and everything. We got to keep everything. You got to keep everything. Work for them for five years, and they pay you four hundred percent more. I said it's a deal done. You know, let's do it. And uh, <laughs> just you know, and again, it's not about falling into the business. It's yeah. it's not about loving my business. It's it's loving the returns that I get yeah. so that I can do things that I love. Yeah. Redistribution. Redistribution to things that I love yep. so I don't fall in love with anything that I invest in because I'm going to take my profit no matter how beautiful the house is, no matter how long I stay in there mm. or how much I enjoy the business building it up because there are other things in my life, there are other passions of my life that I want to invest in as well. So I sell what I love to do the things that I love as well. Yeah, wow. Well. If I can put it that way. Wow. So I said at the end of the conversation, I said, by the way, so who's going to buy us out? Who's, who's, which, which company is this that's going to buy us? And, and, the, and the name he gave me floored me. It said, the company that wants to buy us is Sumitomo Corporation. <laughs> So awesome. Sumitomo wants to buy me. And so lo and behold, 20 years later, the company that says I will not make it, the company <laughs> that says, you know, it's the name Sumitomo that will that will cause you to succeed and you know you'll fail. Wow. You will fail in life as an entrepreneur, as a business starter, as someone who's going into infant infant industry. Uh they end up 20 years later buying us out. Wow. And uh and so the joke they they, they were my guys were sharing uh they, they couldn't they couldn't spare <laughs> they couldn't resist you know, they had to bring you back somehow. Wow. Were they your competition as well? I'm sorry? Were they in competition? Yeah, they were in competition yeah. for years, you know, we're competing. We're direct competitors. Wow, they must yeah. have felt threatened from the yeah. start. Yeah, and so they said we're gonna buy and the reason why they bought us was because this we had a phenomenal thing a record. I mean, these guys weren't dumb. I mean, you know, you're buying a company 400%. You're not, you're not, you know, you've basically done your homework. And they had KPMG come in and do due diligence. They had two auditors that did our books and all that to make sure that wow. it's not fudged and all that. They discovered that the reason why they bought us was because this was a company, a trading company, which unlike any other trading company. That this trading company only had one year of loss. And that one year of loss was the year before I joined them. <laughs> and after I joined wow. them, they had, every year was a, 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 a profitable business. You know, I'm a pastor myself. We can talk about that later in my passion. But I, I believe in a the principle of if you're blessed by God, wherever you go and the people you partner with, the people you work for, and the people that you work with in everything that you do, you'll be blessed as well. And, uh, it's, and the story is with Isaac and Jacob and with Abraham as well. And uh, remember the story of uh, uh, they came to Isaac and Bimelech and said that, you know, I want to stay in partnership with you because I know you're blessed by God. You're the favor. You're the favor of God. And Laban, the father-in-law of Jacob, said, I want you to stay working for me because I know you're blessed by God. So, um, you know, it's not, a, it's not being egoistic. And I'm mm -hmm. sorry if I apologize if it comes across that way. 
I'm I'm not the one that blessed. I mean, it's God that blesses me and everyone around around me get blessed yeah. as and, well. And you had a small operation, right? Yeah, we had a small operation. That I we only had at, at the end. I had uh, uh, we had two traders and two staff and um, four of us. And our turnover was our turnover was about three to five hundred million a year. Yeah, wow. And obviously, yeah. that's attractive. Like so, lush, such a low cost. Yeah, it's a low cost thing. And so, um, you know, we 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 worked on performance. You know, uh, you do well, you get paid well. Yeah. Uh, salary was important to help let us have our daily life, but it's the performance bonus that kicks in. Right. And well, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, and I'm sorry to be so detailed with this. Did no. they did they give you the? I'm sure listeners are interested. Did they give you the majority of the pad at the start, or did you have to earn it out over the five year period, or? Um, sorry again. Uh, during the after the buyout. Yeah. So did they give you a chunk of cash at the start? Yes. And then they, to- yeah, that's a good question. They they uh, the way they did the buyout was that uh, uh, we didn't want we we didn't want to buy out that would be determinant on anything. That we wanted to buy out where look you're gonna buy us out now. The five years is another thing altogether. It's a bonus. Yeah, it's a it's a bonus. Yeah, and so the payout was immediate. Uh, there was not in trenches. And it was not conditional on the consequence, subsequence of our performance. Uh, uh, so, and so it was, um, it was, uh, it was an immediate payment. Uh, we got it, I think within six months after joining. And, uh, we had, uh, we had our lawyers, we had our auditors as well. And uh, we made sure that the contract was very, very explicit about how the payment, uh, schedules were being done. And, and that there were no conditions tied to the buy, the buyout. Correct. And, um, but, but obviously they wanted us to be there because, um, you know, in any, any form of service industry or any form of trading industry, you, you know, the people are the keys, not the, 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 um, the, the, the assets. The only assets are the people. Yeah. And so when they did the buyout, we, um, we were happy working. And then, and then that's another story after five years. Yeah. Fantastic. So, <clears throat> Okay, I want to move on to asking about in the peak of your career when you were full-time in the business, being a pastor, juggling family because you have five children, what was your typical week from Monday to Sunday? Wow, that's a good because, question. Because we, you know, to be perfectly honest, um, I have a lot of people that come up to me and they want mentoring and I think there's this glor- like entrepreneurship has been glorified to the point where it is dangerous because it's really not for everyone. And I want people to know what it what it what it takes, you know. So if you can share with us your typical sure. week, I think that before I share about the practicality of each day, yeah, um, I think the most important thing is the internal person that is operating each day, doing the things that they are called to do, and the, your obligation, your responsibility, and the and your and and the things that you you that mm. you're doing that's important. And the word I want to use is passion. Passion is the fuel that drives you to accomplish the important things in life. So the reason why I'm able to handle pastoring a church, having a family of five, and still loving my business was that I was passionate about all three. And uh, I've got one life to live. And I don't want to do anything I'm not passionate about. Uh, It's a waste of my life. Yeah. And so I never want to do anything I'm not passionate about. It's not about the money. It's not about the the returns. 
It's not even about financial security. I, you know, I think that you, you have to live life with a passion. And if you live life with a passion, all these other things will fall into place. And that passion yeah. is a fuel that will get you up from your failures. The reason why I could take setbacks and failures and losses was that because I'm so passionate and so, and so determined that I knew that even if I were to have these setbacks that, um, I have God on my side. I have the grace and blessing of the Lord. At the same time, I have the inner determination to say, you know what? I'm going to pick myself up and go on again. And so I have a deep passion for my family. So when I spend time with my kids and my family, I love it. I enjoy it. And I try to do it to the fullest. And so I'm not a time waster. So I'm, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm sorry to say, I'm not a veg out kind of guy. Yeah. You know, that's, I don't have a, I don't have moments where I just don't do anything. Yeah, when you're on the couch watching, binge yeah, watching Netflix. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not a, I don't watch serial. I, I don't watch, I don't binge watch and these yeah. things. I just don't have time for these things. I'm very productive. I don't, I don't read novels. I don't read magazines. I don't read fictional books. Uh, I, I, I don't because I think, you know, to me, it's just a, I just want to be productive all the time. That's yeah. me. So yeah. I think the key thing is being, being productive. So I'm productive with my children. I love them. I enjoy my time with them, my wife. And then I, um, I know my work as well. I'm in church as well. I do the same thing. So, so, so the fuel that runs my, my week is my passion. And so when, when you're living on fuel or passion, you're not, you're, you're, ne- you're never tired. You're never, yeah. sure you're tired, but you have a good rest. Sure you're tired and I, you do things that you enjoy to kind of, you know, uh, um, build up your, 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 your reserve tank to, and ensure that you can still go on. Uh, you do things that you enjoy. But, but passion, I think, is so mm. important in whatever you're doing in life. So, the, so my week would be, um, my, if you ask me, you want to know my practical week? Is that what you're If you don't mind, sure, yeah. Absolutely. And, you, and you can be as quick or as long as you want. Sure. It's fine. Okay, so um, I, I, in, in a week, I, I tend to look at my week and I plan out my week pretty much, you know. So I have a, a phone and I calendarize my, my, my life. So I kind of plan out the whole year. And so I kind of know where mm. meetings are. I know when trips are. I know when do I have to, you know, when work is being done. So I try to basically, don't, I don't really segregate my life. So meaning that my life is like a bowl of salad. I like to use the example, my life is a bowl of salad where you have the vegetables and the meat and the sauce all mixed together. So that's how I have my, my life. My life is not uh, separated. Mm. And so, uh, so I could go to work and then in between I have time, I'll talk to my wife, uh, I'll you know, uh, text my kids and then uh, if lunchtime, if I have no appointments, I use that time to prepare for my sermon. I'll use that time to kind of uh, uh, keep up with the other important um, aspects of my investments. And then uh, I would try and, um, uh, uh, and then get home at about 6. I will leave the office at 6. Uh, the reason why I leave so early is because I still trade at night. So I can still, you know, with internet and with different things, you can, you can basically trade the whole day and work the whole day. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, I want to be, I want to what you call, uh, work smart yeah but work smart uh, uh, it's not doesn't mean that you don't work you yeah. there's no such thing as working smart means you don't work hard you do both <laughs> you know you gotta work smart and work hard they go together 
And so work, working hard means that you, 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 you work hard, but in a, in a way that you become efficient and effective, you know? So, uh, when I, when I was at, um, at six, when I returned home by six 30, that is what I call family time. So it's six 30 to eight, uh, is full on with the kids. Uh, and then I have those church activities and other meetings after eight o'clock. And thereafter, I, um, and then, uh, and then I get a good night's rest, about seven hours. I, I, I'm the type that needs seven, eight hours of sleep. And then, uh, and then I get, and I have the whole cycle again. And if I have to travel, I usually travel on a Monday and I try to maximize my trip where, uh, if it's Asia, because I'm living in Asia. So when I don't go on long haul trips, I would leave and only have a one night. And I'll maximize my trip. For example, if I even go to Korea, I'll take a midnight eye flight, arrive Korea at seven in the morning, um, and then go right to work and work until about 10 o'clock at night. And then I'll, I'll either take a flight back. Uh, yes, I take a flight back after that. <laughs> oh, or if I stay one night, I'll leave the next day in the morning and arrive, let's say about one, two o'clock in the afternoon from, from Korea or from Tokyo. And then, um, and then, uh, either go back home and have a short rest, uh, before I spend time with the family. Wow. And so I had a luxury where my, my boss and, uh, when I was working for Vostel Alpine and Summit was that my bosses were, uh, they're not interested in hours uh, because we're basically a bottom line company. So we're not keen how many hours you pull in. We're only keen about how much profit you make. Yeah. So, you know, so we're kind of like, a, uh, we don't have a philosophy where you have to stay in the office and work for hours, but you know, the boss has to see that you're very, you know, you're not actually working, you just stay in the office just to, you know, show the boss you're working yeah. and you're working late, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're not into that kind of a uh, yeah. lifestyle. We're into, you know, you can work three hours, but you, you, you make profit. You know, we don't care if you don't come to the office at all. Yeah. So I had the luxury to be able to do those things. Yeah. So I was able to get things done. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I mean, Work-life balance, people talk about work-life balance, but I'm big on work-life integration. I actually don't like the word work-life balance. I like the word work-life integration, so you really typify that. So, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. So, you know, with your wealth management, now, we spoke before about um, property development and, you know, what the position that Australia is in at the moment with property, we've been dull for 10 years to be honest. Well, Perth has, not not, not so much the eastern seaboard. Um, you're pretty passionate about tech stocks at the moment. So can you share a bit more about that? Yeah. I'm passionate about both. I, I, I love property. Right. And, um, but if you, if you're, if this is an Australian audience, then um, my, my advice to you is that if you're going to go into property, um, I would, recommend just going for location, location, location. And I know this is an old mantra in property development, but uh, I'm, I'm never impressed with, with anything that can be reproduced quantitatively. Uh, uh, but if you can um, invest in somewhere where it's prime location, demand is good, even if the, the dollar value brings you a much smaller place, I'd rather you do that. So instead of buying a five-acre property that costs you a million, I'd rather buy in downtown Perth, you know, um, having a Swan River uh, view uh, or a sea view where it's prime, mm. where you buy a little tiny apartment. I'd rather do that because I think 
you you want to be where the prices are inelastic. Uh, the further out you go, the prices get elastic, and that's where the volatility and that's where demand becomes a um, a, 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 a a something where it's just a, a more and more, and it's just difficult to to, to sell it. Mm. Uh, and um, it's interesting. I was in a a, a, a conference once. A, um, a, uh, a, 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 a like a wealth um, management conference and uh, had all these very successful business people. You know, at that time, uh, the, the newspaper in Singapore were advertising a lot of the Iskandar, uh, uh, Johor, Johor um, across the border of Singapore, the Iskandar region, where it's going to have all these mega developments going on. And so people in, in Singapore were, were flogging, were flogging into Johor across the causeway to buy property. They were buying terrace house, bungalows, uh, they were buying apartments, um, and they were telling themselves, if I, you know, in Singapore, I have a HDB three-room flat and it cost me $700,000. If I just go across the border, I can now buy in Malaysia for the same amount of money, I can buy a huge bungalow house with a swimming pool or, a ter- or two terrace house or a shop house that will cost a fraction of the price. So I'm getting my dream house. Or I can buy an apartment in Johor now for $100,000. In Singapore, I, I can only buy a car for 10 years. So people were doing that and it was a big uh, rush. It's like going to buy the future. So back in this conference, this, so the, the presenter was, uh, had a PowerPoint presentation, okay? All you guys in here, all you ultra-rich, successful businessmen, rich people. Now, I'm giving you three places to buy property. Number one, London. Number two, Singapore. Number three, Iskandar. And then he said, okay, now you guys, you know, key into the eye, into your phone, you know, and then the screen would shoot, would shoot up the people that would be buying, you know, where would be three locations, London, Singapore, Iskandar. And guess what? The answer was nobody bought Iskandar. So, you know, the people who are smart don't buy anything that you can reproduce. And today, when you go to Iskanda, I'm sorry to say, all the flats are all dark and all black because no one's staying there. And no one's renting it. No one's buying it. You see, so that's the, that's the story about property. Wow. Okay, and so... So then, you know, so you want to buy in Australia, go for the prime. Even if it's smaller, go for the yeah. prime. And, uh, and to, uh, talking about I, uh, technology, I think technology is the future. You know, uh, there's a company I was looking at. Um, uh, I still beat myself not buying it. You know, I've got a lot of wasted <laughs> opportunities. Uh, there's a company called Weibo. I was looking at it at $13 US. Oh, wow. It was at $40. Yeah. It dropped to $13. Now, usually in my trading mind is that, you know, it's $40, it drops to $13, you know, there must be something wrong with the company. <laughs> and if it's at $13, I think I'll buy it at $9 or at $5 when it gets in. Yeah. I'll pick it up then, you know. But the problem is that when it went to 13 it said, oh, then it went to 15 Ah, oh, man, it's just a temporary thing. It'll go back again. Then it doesn't go to 15 it goes to 18 Then it goes to 20 He said, oh, $20. <laughs> Uh, it's a bit too expensive right now. I'll go, I, I think it's, I'm just going to wait. You know, it's just too expensive. Then it goes to 30. You say, oh no, it's just too much. I think it's just going to fall again. It, ha- it happened before oh, it wow. will fall again. Then it goes to 40. Today, it's at $100. Wow. 
Wow. You know, it's it's that's a Chinese stock. It's a Chinese it? stock. Yeah, it's an it's a it basically Weibo does. Uh, they basically are in. Uh, they're like the WhatsApp chat uh, of of a of uh, of uh, of uh, China. Yeah. Uh, Ch- China is basically three Americas uh, combined together, and uh, and so you have three Americas, and mm. uh, it's incredible. Uh, uh, so uh, my bet is on if you're gonna invest, invest in. In the top five companies in IT in China, yes. Uh, China today has China has more thirty-story skyscrapers uh, and up uh, combined together than uh, uh, in one city than the whole of America combined together in one country. You know that's that's just phenomenal. Wow. Uh, Guangzhou as a city has. Got more people than the entire Australia popula- population. It's just mind boggling. It's just so, and everybody in, in China now are, 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 are tech savvy. Uh, so you gotta put yourself in, in, in your shoes whereby you're gonna put money, I think, in, in tech stocks and number one in companies that are dominant, that have ring fenced themselves where competition is not, is gonna be very hard to come in, where they have a potential on the upside. Uh, forget looking at the PE in these companies. You look at the PE, you will never invest in them. Uh, uh, and uh, it's very hard to look at also the future PE as well because the future PE is basically a guess, a, yeah. a guess thing. People just plugging plugging things on the air. But you look at the potential of the population, and the best thing is to look at the field. And the best way is Warren Buffett's way. Warren Buffett invested in Coca Cola because one day he went to the store and he saw that as he was paying for his for his for his food. He saw that every single carousel, every single payment counter, everybody was buying Coke. And he knew he had to invest in Coke. So, so, so always go and have a feel, you know, about these companies. So, mm. so, so it must be number one. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, as I said, it must be dominant. Number two, they're ring fans themselves. Number three, they've got a, and they, they are business that, that serves the general population. Yeah. It must serve the general population. And, um, and so, uh, and so I look at some of these, Tech companies, they're phenomenal uh, yeah. in what they're doing. Yeah. And how do you learn? Do you observe yourself through your eyes? Do you read? Yeah, do you, you to, internet browse? Yeah, you have to, you have to do, do your homework. You have to do your homework. It's, be, you know, it's, good, it's great to have financial advisors. It's great to um, have um, um, people send you reports about where to see the, the prices go. And then, but I think the most important thing um, that I have known from, God, God, godly people who are very successful, they, they all have the same thing that they tell me. These successful godly people that are, that I look up to, they tell me that they said, you know, you got to hear God's voice. If God tell you to put in something, you don't. If God doesn't tell you to, even if you miss out, that's fine. And so don't go with the hurt mentality, go with the God mentality. And that's hearing God's voice. And so if you're not a Christian, get to know God, seek God, find God, you know, and He will speak to you and He will tell you because God is real and He's the blesser. He's the best investor. Mm. And He's so wise and He knows everything. And so make God your partner and make your plans big. And so uh, so I, I tend to want to hear God's voice and want to hear what He says and invest in those areas. Well, and when you get the peace, then you, yeah. you go for it. Yeah. that that That's really interesting. And, and that leads on to what, you're doing now. So I interviewed someone recently who, who's very similar in how they live their life. You know, they, they made a business sale and then now they're really 
you know, doing good with the with the wealth that they they're really distributing the wealth that they have to yeah. to other areas. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a bit about what yeah. you do now? Yeah, my dream is my wife and I we talk a lot about about giving. Yeah, we talk a lot about giving and not giving to our children, but giving to uh, to society and giving back to the kingdom of God that will help to bless the society. And we uh, we we've always praised God, you know, bless us and make and give us wealth so that we can distribute that wealth. So we're, we're big givers. We love to be with people who give us. All our close friends are all big givers. And we have this mentality of surrounding ourselves with people who are very generous. And I think generosity is one of the most incredible uh, uh, um, you know, values that a person could have. And we firmly believe in that. And um, and so we've, we've uh, there was a stage in my life where uh, where God just spoke when I was, um, you know, funny thing was that when I was not making a lot of money and, you know, I never heard this from God and God's, you know, except that I give, you know, my 10% or, or my tithe to the church and I do it happily, no problem. And when there's a stage where I was making a lot of money, one day God spoke to me, God says, I want you to give 30%. So, what? Give 30%? But I was happy. I give 30%. So, uh, so I give 30% for about a few years. Uh, but uh, that wasn't a problem for us. But, you know, sometimes we feel that, you know, the more we earn, the more, the you know, 30% is a chunk. So if you give a thousand, you earn a thousand, you give a hundred, that's no problem. When you're earning like, you know, 50,000, 30,000 or whatever thousand you're earning and you give that chunk, that's a lot. And I think that's a test. And mm. uh, uh, um, God's always testing me. And I, I, you know, and I like being tested by God because it shows the, it views the, the motive of my heart. There was a time where I remember, I don't carry, carry a lot of cash in my pocket. Usually my wife is the one that pays for most of the stuff. I just don't let my pocket yeah. be full. I just like a flat pocket, so I carry a credit card, maybe a couple of, you know, 10 bucks, whatever, where I'm going most of the time. <laughs> and one day, somehow, and on Sunday, I just put like, you know, a lot of money, stash of big tons of cash in my pocket. I don't know why I did that that day. I went in, I put in, I thought maybe I was going to use that later on. And I, and I did that. And when I got to church and when the basket was coming around, God said, put everything in there. <laughs> Two story. And I said, Gosh, there's a lot. Okay, never mind. So I took, put everything in there, you know. And, but it's just that journey with to be able to just trust God's voice and to trust that He's the best investor and that He will take care of me. So mm-hmm. we invested in Cambodia. We invested in Sri Lanka. We recently had our church uh, fundraising. We wanted to raise 120000 We ended up raising 140000 People coming up to our church and say, Pastor, you know, it was great that we raised that much, but Pastor, could we maybe step the, set the bar a bit higher? You know, and, and go for the bigger amount because we want to all give. So, you know, uh, I believe in this. You cannot outgive God. And, um, so we, we, uh, we've done a lot of giving. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't divulge a lot of things because the Bible tells us, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and give in secret so, so that your heavenly father will reward you. And, uh, we're not looking for a pat on the back from man. So a lot of our giving is very quiet, very very um, very low profile. We don't tell anybody because we want our rewards and we want to get God to com- command us, not not man. But definitely, we love giving to the community and to to the work of God. You know. And, well, um, yeah. Well, so Simon, do you have any final parting words? Anything you're passionate about that you want to to speak on? Yeah, I th- I think that uh, I really believe that the church uh, should. Um, should rise up and stand up for, um, for, for the things that are important to our society. 
um, a lot of times we as people in our nations, um, when we vote for a referendum, when we vote for something, sometimes we don't know the consequences and the fallout and the repercussion ramification of the decisions of the votes that we make. I think it's the job of the church to to disseminate to internet uh, the important things uh, that uh, will affect society for years to come, the ramification of our vote. Our vote is very powerful. And, and you should, and I think the, the job of the church is to educate and, and list down the ramifications of every single referendum or whatever decisions you make as a nation. And so that people, when they vote, at least they understand the consequences that will affect generations of the generations. And that, that is something which I, I, I hope that the churches in every country would do that in whatever important agendas they have mm-hmm. as voters. And I believe that also as individuals, that we have a, a responsibility to be a good representative of who God is. And I think it's about uh, loving people, uh, um, building uh, causes, uh, be it social justice or different important things that would really be a blessing to the community. It's something that I love doing. And uh, it's what we call, uh, that's why I call payback to society so that we can do something that would be a blessing and, and without expecting anything in return. Mm. And um, uh, um, and so, yeah, those are some of the things that I love. And it could be anything that you, look, you, that, uh, that you are passionate about or you think about or important in your life. But, you know, just these important mm. principles of life, I would call it. Mm. Thanks so much, Simon. And... Um, Look, really learned so much today. So I just oh, want to thank you for coming well, on. It's an honor. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to speak. And thank you guys for hearing this podcast. And uh, I, I am just an ordinary person. I'm, I'm, I'm no one um, uh, important in life in that sense. I'm, I'm just like everybody else. But, you know, with God, um, everything is possible. And um, so I really thank the Lord for gracing my life. And, yeah. and um, I'm just happy to have the opportunity to be able to be here today. Thank you so much. Thank you.